so much. Brother Jordan, come out, preach the word to us tonight. Will you get with him tonight? Give the Lord a hand clap. All right, can we give that to God for just a moment, please? He's worthy of all the praise. Amen. You may be seated. You may return to your seats. Isn't it awesome to be part of a, a thriving church? I, I think about it. it wasn't too long ago that we were, uh, our, our youth sanctuary, so I'll back up a little bit. A few uh, Fridays ago, we had a youth service, and we had to pull quite a few chairs uh, from the annex and bring them over for our youth service. We had 50, 60 people at our youth service, and uh, what was it, maybe 17, 18 years ago, that was our crowd next door, and that's our youth services now. So God's, God's really blessed our church. He's blessing the apostolic movement, and, and I really believe that we are in some some different days. Pastor talked about he, he, he's excited in this new level, and, and I'm really, uh, I'm beyond sure that this church is going to be used in this apostolic last days movement. Amen. I want to give honor to our pastor. I give honor to our leaders. I give honor to you as a church, and I want to give honor to my wife as well. Thank you all for allowing me to, to speak. Pastor, he, uh, he texts me. I was getting ready to go into a meeting, and uh, he texts me and, and asked me if I, if I could possibly preach tonight. And uh, just said in the Holy Ghost, let's do it. Let's go with it. And, uh, and here we are few hours later, here we are. So pray for me, and uh, in a minute, I'm going to pray God's anointing over the preaching tonight here in just a moment. Um, I will say that there's quite a few things that go on in this church throughout the week. Um, these lights don't just happen on their own. Brother Bunch is here. Some, if you ever see some of these middle lights go out, uh, sometimes we have to get a really, really tall ladder. I know at some point that we've actually had a lift in here to change some of these lights. So this doesn't just happen. Sister Michelle Brock, uh, this church doesn't just clean itself, does it? Uh, she spends hours. There's times where I might stop by in the week, and she's here. She's here cleaning. And uh, there, there's a lot of things that happen in this church that we don't see. Uh, Monday night, I needed to stop by for a little bit. I asked Brother Denver to stop by with me on Monday, our youth sanctuary. We have the monitor on the back wall now, and we have a computer that hooks up to that. And for the last couple years, we've had a, a connection issue with the computer in the back going to that monitor, really ever since we installed it. So we've had a Bluetooth type thing that's just, it, it'll work for a while, and it kind of goes out. So I asked Brother Denver, I said, hey, we just need to finally, we're going to put a wire a hard wire. We're going back to old-fashioned hard wire. It's the best connection you can get. So we did it from the computer to the monitor. So uh, Brother Denver came prepared. I did not Monday. I showed up. At, I set the time, and that's about all I did. Brother Denver showed up. He brought his drill, his drill bits. I guess you need those if you're going to use a drill. And uh, he got up in the ceiling. I did hold the ladders. He climbed up in the ceiling next door, and he climbed all around that that crossface ceiling, whatever attic, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's gross, so thank you, Brother Denver, for helping me with that. So we got that. It only took us, what, maybe 45 minutes or so. Uh, he, I'm not going to say we. He was able to get it connected for us, and uh, as we tried to turn it on, it wasn't working. So uh, Pastor, I'd called him a little bit Pre, uh, a little bit earlier than that, asking for a flashlight, if he knew where any flashlight was. And he said, well, I, I don't know. So we, we settled with our phones, and he actually stopped by when we were doing that. So we had Pastor, we had Denver, we had myself, and, uh, and, and I, I needed to call in some reinforcements. So I called the Barrows. I just went straight to the source. I said, Brother Barrow, I need you to help me. 
And he goes, yeah, 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 I'll be, I'll be right over. He dropped everything he was doing to be there. And whenever he came to the door, I was never so happy to see Sister Barrow tagging along. And, uh, and after a few hours, after a few hours, some blood, sweat, and tears, uh, Sister Barrow, the brain of the operation, was able to get it connected for us. So I just want to say that's a long-winded version of me saying thank you. That's just one of the things that happens. That was about a three-hour project for us, and things like that happen all the time here at the church. So I just want to say thank you to every single individual here in this church who helps add to the kingdom. Whether you be standing up here, you're singing, uh, whether you pay your tithes, that's adding to the kingdom, whether you're showing up as a member, whether you're cleaning the toilet seats, whatever you're doing, thank you. And it's been a privilege to be part of this church. Tonight, my title is Run to Win, and I apologize, Sister Southern, I have a lot of scriptures one by one, so I'm just going to pray that she sticks with me, and, and, I, and I apologize now. Um, 1 Corinthians 9.24 is where we'll take our first scripture here. 1 Corinthians 9.24. And you were on it. Okay. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And there's another, uh, another translation, the message tra translation says, You've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race. Everyone runs, one wins, run to win. So my title tonight is Run to Win. Run to Win. Uh, I don't know what it is, but in the last week, uh, I have had a fascination with running. Not me physically, but me, uh, me, me almost uh, just me searching it out. I don't know. Yesterday, I spent some time. There are some shoes that I heard about. They're called the Nike Vapor Max. Uh, they are a shoe that came out about five years ago. Maybe you've seen these. I think I saw an ad for it, and it kind of took me down uh, down the wormhole on the, on the internet, you know, and I was like, how are these shoes? 400, 500, some of them were $1,200 a pair for these shoes. They've been out for five years, and they still are that much a pair. They're ugly. Uh, they're they're neon, they're usually yellow or pink. Uh, I've seen some pretty cool blue ones, but for the most part, they're just really vibrant, loud, boisterous colors. And, and, and as I was doing some research, I kept seeing this 4% attached to the really high dollar ones. And, and, I, and I was like, man, I'm, I went on, there's a website where sometimes, I'll look at shoes on there sometimes, and there was a pair going for about $1,000 used on this website for runners. So I'll, I'll say, I, 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 I look around, um, I see some of you who may be into running. I know I saw Brother Deckard. I actually heckled Brother Deckard the other day. I saw him running, and I yelled out the window, run! And he, he very pleasantly said, hey, brother, and just went on his way. And then I felt bad for about a minute, and then I prayed and got over it. Um, but I know, I know in here we have some, we have maybe, you're interested in running. I'm not really interested in running, but for whatever reason, it interests, I don't, I'm not interested in physically running, but it interests me how people can just go run for fun. Weird, right? Weird. Amen. That should be the loudest amen I get tonight. Um, it's interesting, but people will pay thousand plus dollars for these shoes. And I found out what that 4% was. It, it, get, it makes you 4% more efficient on the bounce you get from the run of hitting the ground. People are so into running that they will pay $1,000 for used tennis shoes with somebody else's foot sweat. For four for four percent better return on that bounce of energy off of the pavement. 
It's crazy that people are into that, right? It's crazy that people are into that. And I want to talk a little bit about tonight of how our race is. There's people who's really into physical races, but I want to talk about our spiritual race tonight. And how is life like a race? Well, life is like a race. It has a challenging course and many ups and downs. It has a judge who will decide where we place at the end of the race. uh, Life has a finish line, whether it be the rapture or through death. And life ends with winners receiving their rewards and losers receiving their rewards. Hebrews 12.1, Hebrews 12.1, and you don't have to go to all these. I'll read these out loud, but if you get, all right, you're going to stick with me. You're awesome. Hebrews 12.1, yep, there you go. Um, Yep. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about to do uh, with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset, beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And then 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith henceforth. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but all of them also that love his appearing. So from the world's perspective, winning is based upon a few things. Uh, intellect, if you look at winners, there's winners and losers, some people will say, especially in the world of sports. You think about intellect. My mind kind of goes to being here in kind of Colts Nation. I think about good old Peyton Manning. Uh, I did a little bit of research about Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning was a quarterback for the Colts for about 15 years, okay? And he only ever won one Super Bowl with the Colts. Went on to Denver sold out a little bit, went to Denver, and won another Super Bowl, and then, you know, he rode off into the sunset, they say. But Peyton Manning is considered one of the best minds in football to ever play. If you look at it, he really only, he, he played for about 20 years. He won two Super Bowls. So what's that? He won about 10% of the Super Bowls of the years that he played. So really, if you think about it, 10% is not that great, but for whatever reason, we consider him to be a great mind of the game. We think about his, uh, we think about him saying Omaha when he sees the line coverage is is I don't know a lot about football, so bear with me here. Uh, when he sees when he sees the other line, the defensive line making an adjustment, he calls Omaha, right? Omaha, 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 and he and he switches his coverage. Up. He, tell, he tells his lineman, this is what we're going to do. He tells his receivers, hey, I need you to shift over here. Running back, I need you to switch sides. You're going to go over there. And he's considered a great mind. He, he's a winner, if you were to consider him uh, in the world's perspective. Wealth, the more money you have, the happier you will be. Image, the better you appear, the more popular you will be. It's very prevalent in today. Power, the stronger you are, the more control you will have. This is the world's perspective of winning. Okay, but from God's perspective, winning is based on something entirely different. Ecclesiastes 9.11, Ecclesiastes 9.11, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to be swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth 
to them all. Another translation says, here's something else that I've learned. The fastest runner and the greatest heroes don't always win the races and battles. Wisdom and intelligence and skill don't always make you healthy, rich, or popular. We each have our share of bad chance. So you may not like this principle in life that it's not really whoever dies and goes to heaven or gets the Holy Ghost first or gets baptized, whatever it is, it's not really what we're racing towards. We're not racing to be the first one to do that. The world's, the world's stance on races is you got to be number one, right? If you're not number one, you're last no, no matter what. It doesn't matter if you're second, third, or 43rd, you're last unless you place in that first place Spot. But God, he's more into us running a marathon, okay, if, if you will. Marathon's pretty long, 26.2 miles, I believe, is what it is. And uh, in that, he doesn't really need us to be first place. He needs us to, there's a, it's, it's the race of longevity, okay? It's a race of longevity. We're going to talk a little bit about here in just a moment. But life isn't fair sometimes. Our human handicap is that we... Uh, even uh, our life handicap is that we can try even so hard to succeed and we still fail, sometimes through no fault of our own. Matthew 5, 45, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh the sun to rise and the evil uh, on the rise and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. The plain fact is that no matter how hard you may try in this race called life that we still let the outcome up to the chance. And that is, is that we must leave it up to God's chance. That we're the only chance we have to finish this race is through giving him a chance, through walking with him, through running with him. Romans 9, 16 solidifies this and it says, so then it is not of him that willeth nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. So the world views success as being number one, but God views success as making him number one. The world sees it as being number one. God sees it as making him number one. There is no question that the race of life is going to be full of disappointment, discouragement, and defeat, but we can overcome all of this if we just put our hope in God. So it's not who runs the fastest right? Uh, you're going to learn a lot. If you're a runner, you go out and run a mile. I, I will tell you, I've never ran more than, I may have ran three miles once. I don't know. Lord, I'm going to go to two. I don't want to lie on the platform. Two, I know I ran two at least once in my life, okay? Uh, I, try to, I try to lift weights so I don't have to run, okay? <laughs> I just don't want anybody to mess with me, so I'll, I'll do this so I don't have to even worry about running. Um, but I think about when running, okay? You learn a lot. If you're just starting running, you might be struggling to run a quarter mile before you can go run a mile, right? So you're not going to go out the first day, get the headband, get the sweatbands, you know, the matching guard, the, 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 the purple outfit from Nike, the shirt, the pants, um, the shoes. You might spend $1,000 on these shoes and go out and run a quarter mile your first time. And you're like, oh man, I'm done. Uh, I, I, I'm beat. Second time you go out, you might run. You might run a half a mile. You go out again, you might run a mile, Okay. You have to build up your stamina for the race. But you learn a lot in that first mile that you go in to, to run. You're going to learn about the blisters that are on your feet. You're going to learn about the right socks to wear. For the borrow, you don't wear dress socks. He's probably in the room, but you don't wear dress socks when you go run. You're going to wear good athletic socks. There's a story there. Ask me about it. I'll be happy to tell you. 
okay? You, you wear athletic socks, right? Um, there's, certain, there's certain things that you have to do. You're probably going to stretch a little bit. You're going to learn a little bit about lactic acid in your joints. So your quads and your knees are going to hurt. Your feet, that's the thing that hurts me the first, your feet are going to hurt. If you have uh, flat shoes but you have arched feet, you've got to find the best support for your feet. You're going to learn a lot in that first mile, okay? You're going to learn a lot in that first few miles. So you might have to build up to where you run two miles and then three miles and then five miles and then 10 miles and that turns in. And then eventually you're realizing, okay, I've done this a little bit. I understand I can go out and I can run 10 miles. I can go out and do that. And it takes us a while to really get our feet under us as we're running this race in life. I look at our youth group right here. They're still in their first couple miles. They're still learning to go out and run that first and second mile. And, and I try to give them, I, I, I teach and preach hard at them sometimes on Sunday, and then God will speak to me and says, they're still learning. And as a church, uh, some of you who have ran, some of you who ran, maybe you're up in the 10 miles or the 20 mile mark, you're up there somewhere, you can show some of these who are getting ready to run their first and second mile, you can show them something. You can help them, you can bring them along the way, amen? And the world views success as being number one, but God doesn't view it that way. At 7 p.m. on October 20th, 1968, a few thousand spectators remained in the Mexico City Olympic Stadium. It was cool and dark, and the last of the marathon runners, the last of the marathon runners, each exhausted, were being carried off to the first aid station. More than an hour earlier, the Ethiopian runner won the race, and he looked as fresh as when he started the race. He crossed the finish line, the winner of the 26-mile, 385-yard event that day. As the remaining spectators prepared to leave, those sitting near the marathon gate suddenly heard a sound of sirens and police whistles. All eyes turned to the gate. A lone figure wearing the colors of Tasmania, I'm sorry, Tanzania, uh, entered the stadium his name was John Akari. He was the last man to finish the marathon, and his legs were bloodied and bandaged, severely injured in a fall. He grimaced with each step. He hobbled around the 400-meter track. The spectators rose and applauded him as if he were the winner. After crossing the finish line, the man slowly walked off the field without returning and looking at the cheering crowd in view of his injury and having no chance of winning any medal. Someone asked him why he had not quit the race. It would have just been easy. He wasn't going to win a medal. He wasn't going to get anything. And they said, why did you keep running this race? And he said, my country did not send me 7,000 miles to start a race. They sent me all this way to finish a race. And I want to ask somebody today and encourage you that, that God sends you all this way just to give up now. He didn't put you around the track a couple times and said, okay, you're done, you're out. He doesn't have you walk off and go tend to your wounds, but he encourages you every single day, whether it be through this, whether it be through him, whether it be through prayer, whether it be through fasting, he encourages us every single day. But we've got to be in connection with him. We've got to be, we've got to be connected to him. We've got to have him in our life. We've got to be willing to listen to when our pastor, he asks us to move a little bit and stretch. I'm going to say he didn't need to apologize. He did that out of uh, the, the grace of his heart, but he did not need to apologize. God uses the man of God to stretch us sometime. Amen. And I'll say it, and if you felt uncomfortable, pray. Pray about it. Let God work on you. Amen. 
Let God work on you. Okay, I don't want to have to apologize after this message, so I'll, I'll keep going. You notice he apologized and then turned it over to me, so I don't want to, I don't want to have to reciprocate that. God has not brought you this far to give up on you now. Hebrews 6, 19 which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into, uh, which entereth into that within the veil. The Bible calls hope an anchor of the soul. Anchors stabilize and keep us from drifting. If you think about a boat, when you drop anchor, hopefully it hits the bottom. And when it hits the bottom, what's it do to the boat? It keeps it in that place, right? You might still kind of bob up and down. It's not really going to pull you under, but what it should do is keep you in that place. Without the anchor, a boat is at the mercy of the winds and the currents. And without hope to carry us through, we're at the mercy of life's unpredictable weather and waters. One of the Old Testament words from, for hope is tikva, which literally means a cord. It comes from kava, which means to bind together by twisting, like a braid of a rope. You know, one rope, uh, you might be able to pull it. If, it, if, it's, if it's a small rope, you could probably pull it and maybe be able to break it with your hands or use somebody and pull it. But if you braid five or six or ten of those ropes together, it's not easily broken. That's where our hope must lie, that it's not easily broken. One of those ropes might snap, but you still have nine more holding on to that. And then you build upon your hope, right? Hope connects us to the throne of God. The same Hebrew word is translated to wait, and that's found in Isaiah 10. It's found in Isaiah 10. And then if you go to Isaiah 40, 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with, e with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Hope, being connected to God, brings us renewed strength in the race of life. If we run connected to God, we win. I'm going to say that again. If we run connected to God, we win. That's better than that, but thank you, the three of you who amened me. Sometimes I feel like I'm not in an apostolic church. It's an apostolic church. Amen? We must, yeah, we've got, that's where our strength comes from, is being connected to God. If not, we will not finish the race. We have to run correctly. So, you know, there are some wrong ways to run a race. I'm going to tell you, if I did the side, I'm not going to do it, but if I were to sidestep the whole race like this, uh, eventually my knee's probably going to hurt because my, my knee wasn't made to do that. Running backwards, okay, I'm going to have probably some joint pain. I'm probably going to have some tendon, some ligament pain. My foot is going to be hitting weird because it's used to hitting in a certain way. It's going to be hitting the opposite way. So just like running, you know, if, if you skip, you're probably going to, it's going to hurt your foot after a while because you're putting a lot of extra weight on the one foot that you're skipping on and the joint of that knee. So there's a certain way to run. There's a certain way to run spiritually, and there are some wrong ways to run. So running religiously without power is a wrong way to run. So 2 Timothy 3, 5, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. The Pharisees were religious, but they, but they went through the motions without a real experience. They knew the right words to say and knew how to appear, but they had little reality or genuine relationship with God. We can't be like the Pharisees. We can't come to church, sit in a pew, and then when somebody asks us about, oh, yeah, you go to, you go to that Pentecostal church, right? And you kind of 
clam up a little bit and you sit up a little straighter and you feel a little weird about somebody asking if you go to a Pentecostal church and then you start trying to say, I know I've been, back in my days when I worked at Menards, uh, I had one of my coworkers who convinced somebody I was Amish. Okay. (laughs) I was not. Uh, They told him I did a horse and buggy to work. I don't know. It was weird. But we, we can't be afraid of our apostolic heritage, our apostolic faith. We've got to live it. We're going to be judged upon it one day. You can't hide it. You can't come here and live it out loud and then go in the world. And when somebody calls you on or when God directs you to somebody, oh, yeah, but we're not, we're not the weird ones that don't run around the aisles. Right? Amen. That strike a nerve there. Amen. There you go. There we go. This is an apostolic church. We pray for the sick. They shall be healed, right? People who need renewing in their spirit, we can pray for them and they're renewed. Pastor talks about it often. This is a church where we're going to see miracles and wonders. Amen. We have to believe that. We've got to run our race. We've got to, we've got to run it in a way of which he's called us to. So we have to run it not just religiously but with power. Revelation 3, 1 says, And unto the angel of the church in Sardin write, These things which... Uh, he says, these things said that he hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. So Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, was a little bit like this. He was in the temple every week performing his religious duties and worshiping faithfully. But when God broke into his life, he could not respond with faith because he had gotten so used to the status quo. The lame man at the pool of Bethesda was definitely like this. He had laid uh, he had laid bedside at the pool for so many years waiting for the move of God or something in his life and he didn't even recognize his deliverance when Jesus stood beside them. I'll tell you I've told you already I'm not much of a runner. I, I do like to do a little bit of weight training. So uh, there's one thing that they'll tell you anybody I know Garen's here, I know Denver's here. I think I've worked out with them a little bit. Uh, anybody ever done anybody know what a deadlift is? Okay. Anybody know what a squat? More people might know what a squat is. Okay. One of the things that they should be teaching you in high school if you start working out then or if you go online and watch some videos, one of the things you'll learn when you perform these, they call them power moves. So when you, when you perform one of these power moves is if you're squatting, I'm about 5'9 on a good day, okay? So about three inches above my, my sight line, so at about six foot, I should find a spot on the wall. And that's where I should keep my eyes at all time when I'm performing that movement. It keeps you from turning your head, keeps you from looking down at the ground, it keeps you from looking way up and bringing your shoulders and your chest out and everything. But you're supposed to stay pretty straight on when you do these movements. I'm not going to do a whole, uh, a whole lecture tonight on weightlifting, but I, I tell you to say that whenever we lift with God, when we run with God, we have to keep our eyes on Him. Right? That's right. The reason they have you find that spot is because you'll hurt yourself. Uh, I have a story. I've shared this with Denver. He's hurt himself doing something similar. I was deadlifting a few years ago and actually thought I paralyzed myself. Uh, I laid in a gym for about 20 minutes by myself. Uh, I, I was doing something stupid. I wasn't finding my spot on the wall. I wasn't doing a good technique. I was trying to do them fast. I was trying to get out of there and, and something something in my back hurt. I went down and laid there and 
literally army crawled my way to a, to a, to a workout bench and laid there, uh, laying over it for about 15 to 20 minutes. And I was like, God, I, <laughs> I got kids. I, I can't, this was stupid of me. I did not take the right precautions. And, and it was scary. I was 26 at the time, I believe. And I, man, it was, a, it, was, it was a scary moment in my life, all just because I took my eyes off of what I should have done. I injured myself pretty good. I will tell you, uh, since then, I do not do a lot of heavy deadlifting. I, I, I do some other things and try to strengthen the back that way. But because I took my eyes upon the spot of where I should look, I hurt myself. Bad. It, it was scary. I know Denver, he shared with me, he went through that about a, two years after I did. And I was like, I know, I, I know exactly how you're feeling, and it's not fun. So we can't run religiously without power. We can't. The next one is, another wrong way to run is running from your enemies. There will obviously be times in our lives when we should avoid physical confrontation. If at all possible, uh, there are oppressive situations that are times of need that we need to get away from. However, one thing we should never flee from is fleeing from our spiritual enemies. Hebrews 12.12, it says, Wherefore, lift up thy hands which hang down, and the feeble knees. The word feeble in this verse uh, is the word paralu, which we get in the English word paralyze. So fear paralyzes our life. Fear paralyzes our life. That's what happened to Israel right after they experienced a glorious deliverance from Egypt after God totally decimated their enemies. Uh, remember, they went to the, to, to the land of Canaan, and they saw the Canaanites, and uh, they appeared to them as giants, and they were scared. They were scared, and they said, we appear as grasshoppers. So here's God. He's literally delivered them from hundreds of years of oppression, right? Many of them have lived through this. Their, their grandfathers, their great-grandfathers, their families have lived through this oppression. They've went through all the plagues God delivered them from. Right? The Egyptians who chased them, God literally swallowed them up in the Red Sea, took care of them for many, many years in the wilderness, and still they didn't believe in him. We can see wonders every single day of our life. We could come to church three times a week and see somebody lifted out of a wheelchair by the power of God, and still there will be doubters. I don't know why that is. I have a hard time dealing with that. Uh, I don't know if it's flesh or what it is, but there are times when we pray for somebody. I, I, I know I, I've done it before when we've prayed for somebody. And in the back of your head, you're like, well, what's going to happen if this, this doesn't work out or if this person isn't healed? But we have to have faith in God. I love that pastor. He asked Sister Sylvia, was that a week ago, Sister Sylvia? She, her tongue, right? There's a little miscommunication on exactly what happened, but her tongue was healed before the end of that service. Is that right? Amen. They prayed for her. She was healed. And God can do that with whatever the situation is. Brother Gunderman, during revival, he may not even remember this, but one night I was having some hip pain. And it was to the point where I, I about pulled him as I sat down. My hip hurt so bad. And I said, I, I got to have you. I couldn't even pay attention to what was going on. And I said, Brother Gunderman, I, and I'll tell you, I've never physically been healed. I've prayed and sicknesses went away. But immediate healing, it's never happened to me. And I prayed, I was desperate. I asked Brother Gunderman, I said, Brother Gunderman, will you please just pray for my hip? And he prayed a prayer over my hip, and immediately that pain went away. I've not had the same pain since. It's, it's changed my faith. Just something so little as 
hip pain. I'm 30, I'm not old, okay? The young people are like, you're 30? I'm 30, I'm proud of it. I'm young, I'm a cool dad. Uh, I'm a cool youth pastor. I may not have a man bun, but I'm a cool youth pastor nonetheless, okay? But we have to be careful that we don't run from our enemies. That we don't see our giants, that we don't see our enemies as giants, that we don't see ourselves as grasshoppers. God is bigger than, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of foolish to think about it in this way, but God created everything. Whatever the situation is, currency, he created the people who created the currency, okay? He created that, so if you're having financial problems, well, guess what? In reality, he created, which created that. If your problem's your marriage, well, guess what? Marriage is found in the Bible. God created good biblical marriage. Relationships, the first relationship any of us have is with God. He created us. He's the reason that we're here. So whatever it is that your problem might be, if you, if you really think about it, he created everything. I, I love having conversations with my boys. Uh, anybody know? I, th I think it's called the five whys. It's how you get to the root. It's like a root cause analysis, and you ask why. I think it's five times, seven times, how many ever times it is, until you get to the root of the problem. My boys are great at root analysis. Uh, Lennox, especially, he, he, he will say, he asks me all the time, so who created our house? Because they know that our house was built a few years ago. He's like, well, who created our house? And I explain, well, buddy, there's builders who came and they created our house and they hired people. You know, trying to explain this to, a, at the time, four-year-old, uh, it was miserable for me, but it was fun at the same time. So I'm explaining, well, okay, well, where did they get the stuff to build the house? And then you're trying to explain to him about how wood grows in the forest and they cut it down and they come build you a house. And then you're feeling bad because there's other houses, okay? I didn't have to waste the tree, but then you're kind of feeling bad. And then he's like, well, who created the tree? And when you're like, well, God created, well, how did God create the tree? Then you're trying to talk to him about how trees, they grow over a long amount of time and you want them to grow up and straight and the water has to do it just, well, who created the water? And then it just keeps going on and on and on. To literally the every, every answer that I could give him could go back to God. And that's true in every situation in our life. If you, keep, if you go to the root analysis of all the problems of our life, you find God who created it, right? So if he's the root of everything that we might deal with, he can fix it. Amen? Numbers 13.33 says... In, there we saw the giants and the son of Anak, and which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight. We cannot see ourselves as grasshoppers. God has delivered us. He's brought us this far in this walk. We can't give up, take our shoes off, and walk off the track. We have to keep running the race. We have to keep running the race. Uh, there's, an, there's an old quote from an old writer, and it says, I am an old man and have never known a great many troubles. I'm an old man and have known a great many of troubles, and most of them have never happened. When I thought about that, I thought about, man, most, if, if you really think about most of your problems, your worries, a lot of them don't come to fruition. And I think, I don't know, I think like this. My brain works this way. I'm like, man, I don't want to spend... 25 years of my life worrying about, I don't want to spend half, I don't want to spend 30 years of my life sleeping 
and then spend another 20 years of my life, 25 years of my life, worrying about something that probably isn't even going to happen. So I've tried to give that to God. That's something I give to him. I give him everything, all of my worries, and I try to focus my, my, my running with him because there are things in our lives that cause stumbling blocks. Our faith can be a stumbling block if we're not careful. And, and worries, is put, worries can be put in our mind. They can be put in the way of us by the devil. Okay? There could be a job thing coming up, whatever it may be. There could be a job situation coming up, and the devil will mess with your mind and say, well, this is what they're going to do, or this is what's going to happen. Uh, I'll tell you, at my, at my job, they're, they're merging in a couple years, and it worried me at first, and talked to my boss about it, and then I prayed about it, and I was like, you know what, that's, that's three years away. This problem is three years away. I'm going to give it to God, and I'm not even going to think about it. I'm not going to waste any, any energy on stressing about it. That's something that's happened recently. If I go back and think, there's many things throughout the day, throughout our life. Emily and I talk about we, we talk to the youth all the time about how when we started, we didn't really have much. God just blessed us. He keeps blessing us and keeps blessing us. And I believe part of that is just giving it to God. We've always given to God in a financial way. We've always given to him spiritually in a way. We've given our lives to him. We've given literally our kids to him, right? So God blesses those who bless him. He runs with those who will run with him. Amen. It's much better to run with somebody than it is to run alone. Um, in, in races, I actually watched, before I even knew I was preaching, I watched a video last night when I was going through kind of the, the wormhole of videos. And there was a video of the, of the man who set, uh, he set the marathon, um, what do you call it, the marathon record. That's the easy word I was looking for. Uh, he set the marathon world record. I believe this was back in 2018, and he's wearing these Nike shoes that people will pay $1,000 for or more, and uh, just hearing him talk about it is pretty interesting, but he has something that helped him set this record is, is he made all the conditions just right. Uh, they, they literally had a five days to pick from, and I don't think it was on the first day. I believe it was in the, mid, like the third day that they decided to go for this record. The conditions were just right. No rain. The temperature, the, the humidity had to be just right for the ground that they were running on to work with these, sh- these shoes that helped him give 4% uh, better energy back to, I don't know. All this science was involved in all this. For this guy to run around and to and to set a world record, and he he beat it by quite a bit. The for a marathon, which is twenty six point two miles, it had never been beaten. Uh, it had never been done in less than two hours, and he did it on this attempt. I believe it was one hour fifty nine minutes and forty seconds. Crazy. I know Allison. She's a runner back there, and I just see her shaking her head. If you were to, anybody know what a four minute mile is? Anybody ever ran a four minute mile? I know we're talking a lot about running, so I'm sorry. I'll tell you, I've never ran a four-minute mile or even twice that. Um, he, he averaged, it was a four-minute and 30-second mile for 26.2 miles. Crazy. But all the conditions were just right for him. And, and at the front of this pack, he actually was at the back of a pack of runners, and he had what were called pacers. Pacers would go out in front of him, and they would literally set the pace of how fast he needed to run. 
Okay, he, they would go out and set the pace of how fast he needed to run. And that's how he set the – he actually gives credit to these pacers of sticking in with him. And, and it was pretty cool. In the video, you'd see, you'd see – I think that there would be four at a time. They would run a couple miles. You'd see two drop out. It's like a flying V formation. you see two drop out, see two more pop right back in. For 26.2 miles, they just kept doing this over and over and over. And they kept this pace up for him and he set this world record and uh, at the end of it he gave them thanks but but that really got me thinking today when I was thinking about the topic of run to win I, I was thinking about how we have to have spiritual pacers in our life those who will run with us and help us set the pace I think about our pastor I think about our, 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 our uh, the, the ones we're married to our significant others the ones we get to share this life with I think about spiritual warriors who we who we yoke up with brother southern was my youth pastor and i still see him as he's my young marrieds pastor now and i lean on him a lot and, and and i like to think that we run together that i i pick his brain when i need something and uh there's been many times with youth stuff especially i'm like i gotta pick your brain on how you did this we can run together i'm, I'm lucky to grow up uh, w with a great pastor i call him pastor dad now uh, we've coined that phrase in the Hawkins household, and I love it. So with Pastor Dad, I, I like to think that we run together. My wife and I, we run this race together. We set the pace. We set the steps, and we're going to run together. Because I'll tell you, running with a partner is a lot more fun than running by yourself. Running with a partner is way more fun than running by yourself. And I look around this church, and really, we should all be running together. Not physically, spiritually, don't worry. But spiritually, we should all be running together running with your so that was running from your enemies we also should not run with your enemies so judas iscariot definitely ran the wrong way in life's race even though he started out with good motives he believed that the messiah would overthrow the roman government and set up an earthly throne however when jesus didn't do it the way that judas thought he would do it he became immediately and incredibly delusional and it created bitterness in his heart that was fatal to him so he took his eyes off of God just because he thought that he let him down which he didn't he ended up dying for him and all of us but just because he didn't come through in the way that he thought that he would in this way he, he took his eyes off upon God and, and eventually Judas took his own life he lost the battle Galatians 5 7 says Ye did run well, who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? So running with your enemies, that's a wrong way to run. The next one is running away from God. Failed expectation in this life can be both devastating and debilitating. Like a balloon losing air and the rapid uh, deflation of our dreams, this can send our emotions spinning out of control. This happens. This happened to the disciples who never expected the crucifixion to happen. So this happened to them. They collectively, so as soon as Jesus, you know, goes in the tomb, what do they do? The answer is, is that they go back to their old professions. They're like, I guess I'll, it's kind of like, I guess we'll go home now. We'll go do whatever we need to do. And uh, they go right back to, to fishing. They, they, they were called out of fishing for fish to fishers of men, and then they go right back to fishers of fish again. And they collectively ran away from God's plan and back to their old lives and vocations. E uh, enough of this save the world stuff, fishing we understand, and they're running from their purpose and their destiny 
and their destiny and what they had been called to do. John 21, 3 says, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. I love that they caught nothing. These are seasoned fishermen, right? Not only of just fish, but of men, but they are, they know how to fish. They've been literally making a living off of this. And they go all night and catch nothing. And I don't think that that's just happenstance. I, I don't think that that just was mere coincidence or anything. No way. In his mercy, God was saying, I will not allow you to prosper and running, aw- running away from me back to your old life. And I am too committed to your destiny. Only when they laid down and turned around and followed his word did, did the Lord perform a miracle on their behalf. So when the plan seemed to have changed and God didn't have the courtesy to inform you, mind you, he doesn't need to inform you. The only thing he really desires is you. You're a vessel for him. So for us as a vessel, do you go tell your coffee cup to go, hey, I need you to put cream and I need you to put three sugars in my coffee. It's a vessel, right? You can't tell it to do that. It's Silly to think about that. We are a vessel in the same way to God. And the coffee cup doesn't tell you, hey, uh, hey, I, Caleb, I need you to drink me. Your coffee cup never says, hey, Caleb, I need you to drink me. You go and drink the coffee. because you. Pour, I hope you're not drinking coffee, Caleb. I should have used an adult for this. Um, Caleb doesn't need coffee, trust me. So when our plans have changed, God doesn't have to give us the courtesy of informing us. But don't run away from him. When nothing seems to make sense, remember that he is somewhere near preparing for you a meal that will sustain you and your needs. Psalm 23, 5. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Don't run away from God. And the last thing that we cannot do is we cannot run ahead of God. We cannot run ahead of God. After 10 years of waiting for their promised son, Abraham and Sarah began to speculate how they could fulfill the promise themselves without God if necessary. The result was Ishmael, a son without the promise, a divided family, centuries of political and religious conflict. Running ahead of God creates major problems. Next, Abraham and Sarah did something typical of human beings. They asked God to accept their doings, right? They got themselves into a a mess. They tried to create their own plans. And then the next thing they do is they ask God to intervene. Uh, We, I know I do. I'm not going to say we. I try not to include everybody. But I know I have done this. I know that I've tried to make plans for myself. And I say, God, if this is your plan, uh, it's just, just, uh, just show me a pinky, you know. I'm trying to look for that sometimes. When really, he, he will just, he'll just mess up your plan. Because that's not the plan that he has for your life. Some of you who are maybe in your, uh, you're up there in your miles of running this race. You understand way better than I can ever understand. You're, you understand more than some of these who are in their first couple miles. That it, It's not worth it to always create your plans. Uh, at work, I, I get to meet with my boss every so often, and she likes to ask me the question, what's your six-month goal, what's your one-year goal, your two-year goal, and your five-year goal? And a lot of times, I'm like, I just want to keep getting a paycheck and doing what I'm doing. Uh, I, try to, I try to be better than that, but in reality, I have told her that a couple of times. I'm like, can I not be happy? I'm, I'm cool with what I'm doing. I'm happy. Things are getting done. Bills are paid here. 
what's wrong with that? But that's not the answer she's always looking for. She wants me to have a plan, a goal, something to work towards, right? And that's the difference between having a plan and a goal. It's important that we have a goal in our spiritual realm, right? In our, in our spirituality, we should have goals. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, well, maybe you've not even repented of your sins. Well, the first goal would be to, I'm going to repent for my sins. If you've not been baptized, well, what do you need to do to be baptized? You should repent of your sins, then you should be baptized. If you need the Holy Ghost, do the triad. Do all three, right? Get them, get them all done. But you've got to set goals for yourself. Uh, if, if you want to go out and win somebody to God, if you want to go out and talk to your coworkers about it, you've got to set a goal of, I'm going to be open when God opens that door. I'm going to set the goal that I'm going to talk to that person about it when I'm there. Pastor talks a lot about at the gym. He's trying to take out his earbuds and talking to people. I had that happen t- to me today. Uh, I, I was getting ready to le- leave, and there's a, there's a young man there who I've seen there for the last few months. I've muttered a couple things to him, but usually I had my headphones on. I was actually listening to preaching, trying to get motivated and ready for tonight. I was trying to be in my in my spirituality there at the gym, you know. Uh, uh, I was listening to some Brandon Lake, and then I was listening to some uh, Maverick City, and then I was listening to some preaching. Brother Stone King, okay, I, I was trying to get in the zone for tonight, and, and something uh, pricked my heart, and I said, you know, turn off, turn off your headphones. So I usually wear them all the, I wear them sometimes all the way in, and I'll wear them till I'm sitting in my car, and it's about to connect to Bluetooth, because uh, it messes up. So I, I was like, something in my spirit just said, turn, take off your headphones. And I'm getting, I'm literally picking up my keys. I just turned off my headphones. I wore the over-the-ear ones. So I was turning off my headphones like this. And as I'm taking them off, there's somebody talking to me. I didn't even know he was talking to me. And, uh, and God inspired to me to talk to him a little bit. And he, he said, hey, I thought he said, how, how are you doing? So he asked me three times, how are you doing? I'm doing good. No, how are you doing? I'm doing good. No, he says, what are you doing tonight? And I said, I did not expect on a Wednesday, what's anybody doing on a Wednesday? And I said, well, I'm about to go home. I'm about to take a shower. And then I said, I'm actually preaching tonight at my church. And then that opened the door of, he goes, oh, you're a preacher? And then we talked, we talked, we had a good five-minute conversation about how he's not, he, he's 18 years old. He's about to graduate from Martinsville High School. I know his name. Uh, I know where he grew up. I know who's, I kind of know some, some of his family. Uh, I know he's in the drawing because he's thinking about going to college and doing something with that. And then I talked to him a little bit about church. I said, hey. We have a great church. We have great young people. And I talked to them a little bit. I do a lot of witnessing for Emmanuel there in Martinsville. They should probably put me on staff or something there. Uh, but I said, I said, hey, if you can't come with me, there's a great church here in town, Emmanuel. They're on the same road. Just go down two lights, take a right. They're right there. And that, and that sowed a seed. On my way out, one of my buddies who I've known there for about eight years now, talked to him, was able to even though uh, he actually was one of my workout buddies, he's he's 60, and I, I would always give him a hard time about being an old man and all that. He was there. I hadn't talked to Robert in a while, and he was just talking to me. I didn't see him for months. And come to find out, his mom was his mom had cancer. She was in a nursing home. He was leaving work every day and going to tend to her and take care of her. And I was just able to minister, and I was able to talk to him a little bit about what our family's going through right now and how Emily's family. You know, we're dealing with some cancer in her family. And God just man, I went from uh, I went from just having my headphones on to doing my own thing to I felt like I was ministering there, where God called me to. And God does that all the time. If you're in Kroger. And you're somebody who just goes around the outer edges because you're so healthy. Go go down some of those middle aisles, okay? Some of us, some, some of us chubby ones who like the M&Ms, we need witness too, okay? We need witness too as well. The little Debbie aisle, hit that hit that aisle up. They might need witness too, okay? Sometimes we're just seeking. We're, we're not really needing snacks. We just need God in our life. Oh Lord, they're gonna have to take that off. Okay.
Amen. But don't run ahead of God. Don't run ahead of God. And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before me. Please let my plan become yours, God. But because he knows the end from the beginning, God refuses to accept our plans. And why? He wants a supernatural element in our destinies that will keep us dependent on him. He wants us dependent on him. We have to be plugged into God 24-7, 365. Uh, God doesn't take holidays. He doesn't take breaks. We have to be in continual relationship with him. The spiritual is always better than natural. So I think about inheritance. A natural inheritance can only get me so far, but a spiritual inheritance can get me an eternity of wealth. Spiritual is always better than natural. Natural is us dying and going to a place called hell. That's what happens in the natural world. But with the spiritual world, what God came and he did for dying on a cross for us, that's the spiritual, that he intervened in our life. That takes over the natural of what should have happened. That now, through God, he died for us. He died so that we can be redeemed for our sins. He died for a purpose on that cross for us. We have to be careful not to run ahead of God. We cannot do it. Lamentations 3, 22 through 24. Thank you. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassion fail not. They are new every morning. Great in thy faithfulness, the Lord my, por- the, the Lord my portion saith my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. This proved to be true in the life of one of the great uh, composers of history's great composers. He had been called a has-been, a a fossil, a relic, an old fogey. But it hadn't always been this way. As a young man, George Frederick Handel was the talk of England. He was the best-paid composer on earth, and his fame soared around the world on a global level, but the glory passed, audiences dwindled, and one project failed, and then failed again. He grew depressed. The stress brought on a case of palsy that crippled some of his fingers. Handel's greatest days were over, wrote Frederick the Great. His inspiration is exhausted. Yet his troubles also matured him. He had some miles on this track. It matured him, and his music became more heartfelt as he aged. And one morning, he received a collection of various biblical texts from Charles Jennings. The opening words from Isaiah 40 specifically moved. It moved Handel. Comfort ye, my people. Comfort ye, my people. On August 22nd, 1741, he began composing music for the words. 23 days later, the world had Messiah, which opened in London to an enormous crowd on March 23rd, 1743. Handel led from his harpsichord and King, jo- and King George, who was present, King George II, who was present that night, surprised everyone by leaping to his feet during the Hallelujah Chorus. From that day, audiences everywhere stand in reverence to that part of the song in these stirring words, and it says, Hallelujah, and he shall reign forever and ever. 
the world would be a poorer place if Handel would have not or would have not let God get rid of his Ishmaels and brought his Isaacs into the world. So how do you win in this race called life? Well, keep running in the right direction. That's the first step. Keep running in the right direction. Don't run behind. Don't run in front. Don't run alone, but run with the Lord. I'm going to have pastor come here in just a moment. In the book, The Ten Laws of Lasting Love, the author relates an occasion on his fight against cancer, and he and his wife had to overcome an attack on their hope. Anytime a doctor came with news of progress, my wife would join me in a mutual embrace. Then the reports, uh, the reports were seldom good during the early phases of my, uh, of my illness. And one day, a doctor brought particularly frightening news. Gazing at his clipboard, he muttered, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look like you're going to make it. So before I could ask the question of the doomsayer, my wife stood up, handed me my robe, adjusted the tubes attached to my body, and said, let's get out of here. This man is a risk to your health. And as she helped me struggle to the door, the doctor approached us, and she said, stay back. She defended me. She demanded to the doctor to stay away from us. As we walked together down the hall, the doctor attempted to catch up with us. Keep going, said my wife, pushing the intravenous stand. We're going to talk to someone who really knows what's going on. Then she held up her hand to the doctor, and she said, don't come any closer. So the two of us moved as one. We fled to the safety and the hope. We fled to the safety and the hope of a doctor who did not confuse diagnoses with a verdict. They turned it over to God. He continued to get better. They prayed for it. So what the doctor said was, you're terminal. Turn to, you're healed. You're, you're going to overcome this, right? And it's through the faith that we have with God, through running, through, through having this walk with God in our daily lives. So we, we cannot confuse diagnoses with verdict. Don't confuse feelings with fact. Don't confuse right, right now with always run life's race to the finish line. That's the most important thing we can do in this life. It doesn't matter if you're barely crawling or you're sprinting. You're going to have times in this life where you're going to be doing a little bit of, of each of those things. But you have to be careful to not stop. Don't turn the other direction. But keep, keep going towards the finish line. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep living the, the holy life. Run to win. Run with hope. And run with the Lord always. I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to the pastor at this time. Thank you for your time tonight. I appreciate you all allowing me to minister tonight. Well, I want to run well. I want to run all the way. No time for slowing down. No time for giving in. Amen. Let's finish this thing. Amen. Thank you, Brother Jordan. Appreciate those good words reminding us what it's all about. Let's stand together. Um, I want to ask you to uh, pray for Brother uh, Zach Manley. I uh, got a text from Brother Mark said that Zach's having some pains and it's calling for an ambulance. So we're going to ask the Lord just to touch Zach and uh, and just touch his body right now. Father, we thank you for your healing power. God, we pray for Zach right now in the name of Jesus. Ask you to touch his body. God, take away these pains, the source of these pains, Lord. You know all about that. And God, we give that to you right now. With your stripes, we are healed. Touch him in a miraculous way. We pray in Jesus' name. 
Now, Lord, I pray over your people tonight, God. I pray for a resurgence of power. I pray over this congregation, Lord, that you'd give us new zeal for the race. Help us to finish and finish strong, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Encourage them. Strengthen them. Bless them. Anoint them, I pray. Hallelujah. Use us this week. Lead us to people that are hungry and thirsty, we pray. We'll give you the glory and we'll give you the praise. And everybody said amen. Now go to your mission field. Go down the Little Debbie aisle and win somebody to Jesus. Amen.